0: Are in a series called Greater. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up with me to the the Gospel of John chapter 16. The Gospel of John Sixteen. I am going to read the uh, passage in totality, that is verses 4 through 15. I'm going to read all that for us so we can kind of get a good picture, and then I'm going to break it down for the rest of the message. So John chapter 16, begin with me, verse 4. Jesus says, <clears throat> I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. So I told you earlier, I have three kids. I have eight-year-old, six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And they are in elementary school. And parents of young kids in elementary school, aren't you surprised but what you did not learn in elementary school growing up? I feel like with my kids, I'm relearning all kinds of things. And one of the things I learned about recently was what a renaissance man Benjamin Franklin was. This was a multi-talented guy. I mean, there was nothing that he could not do. He helped our country and, in a sense, our world in so many different ways. So, I want to just take a moment at the introduction. I want to kind of break down some of the things that he has done. Here are some of his talents. First, he was an inventor. He invented what we know as a car odometer. He also invented modern street lamps, bifocals, Swimming flippers, so all those people who aren't here right now but are vacationing in Destin, those things on their feet in the swimming pool, he invented those. He also invented central heat in our home. So prior to him, it was just a fireplace, but he invented something called the Franklin stove. And so when I turned on my heat this morning, that central heat and it went throughout the entire house he invented that. I mean, what an inventor. He's also a politician. He was a member of a group that pushed for the abolition of slavery 100 years before slavery was abolished. Amazing. He also was uh, one of the authors of the Declaration of the Independence and the Constitution, and an ambassador to France and to Britain. What did I accomplish in life? Like, Nothing compared to this guy. He's also a city planner. The things that we go to every day, these were, his, these were his ideas. The post office, the public library, the volunteer fire department down the street right now, that was his idea. Hospitals were put in place here because of Benjamin Franklin, so city planning. Next, he was a scientist. He discovered the Gulf Stream, and he's one of the people that we most know him by. As, you know, he flew the kite and discovered lightning was made of electricity. He was a musician. He played the violin, the harp, and the guitar. Take that, Brad, wherever you're at. He was also the inventor of the glass harmonica. You can actually Google it on YouTube. You know the glasses when you, the wine glass, and you put your finger, you know, you get your finger wet, and you go, woo. You know, He's the one who actually made an instrument out of a bunch of those, so you can actually play it like an instrument. It's unbelievable. You can Google it. Seriously, it's, check it out. Second, he was, uh, or excuse me, I should say six. He was also a printer. He uh, published in newspapers. He bought a newspaper, and he is the first person to create a political cartoon. I mean, this guy was a Renaissance man. He had so many talents. And I tell you all this about him, because this is the kind of person you want to be friends with. Right, you want to be friends with somebody, somebody who has lots of different talents, because when you're friends with somebody like that, they care for you, and there's nothing that they um, that they can't do. They're willing and able to help you. And so, uh, if you have issues, let's say, with your car, you could take it to a mechanic, and they will charge you probably, maybe a fair amount of money, but probably be very expensive, right? But if you have a friend who's a mechanic, they get the part of a rallies, they can save you a lot of money, do it for you. You want to have that friend in your life. It would be great if that friend was also a CPA because it's tax season, and if you're like me and you do the TurboTax, and you don't know what the questions actually mean, and you're guessing your way through, and you're like, oh, please, I hope I'm audited. This person you can call, and they will help walk you through it. You know, or if you have problems with parenting, right? I mean, as a young parent, I always have questions about parenting. It would be great if the same person could help me with taking care of my kids, helping deal with the various issues that come across with parenting. My point is, we need friends in our lives who are multi-talented because they care for us and they are willing and able to help us with anything that encounters our lives, now, I share that with you because in today's passage, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit is that sort of friend. He says here in the text, what? He is a helper with a capital H. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is such a great helper that, get this, it is to our advantage that He goes away. In other words, it is better to have the Holy Spirit inside of us than Jesus beside us, which is the title of today's message. In the series on greater that we're in, we want you to take away today that it is better it is much better for the Spirit to be inside of us than Jesus uh, than Jesus beside us. Now, you, hopefully right now you're asking yourself, how is it better to have the Holy Spirit within me than Jesus in the flesh? I mean, think about that for a second. How could that possibly be better? How can that be to our advantage to us? Well, what I, we're going to go through today, we're going to go through the di- different talents of the Holy Spirit. Like His different abilities, his different skills. We talked earlier about Benjamin Franklin and all the different roles he fulfilled in his time here on earth. Now I want to talk to you today about all the different roles that the Holy Spirit can fulfill in your life Life, And here's why this is important, because we are, as Christians, confronted with all kinds of hostility. We have all kinds of issues in our lives, and so often we end up trying to solve our problems with our own might, and we're missing out on the blessing that God wants to give us. He says you are to have an abundant life. Our mantra here is find life. That stems from this idea of that God wants to give you an abundant life. And that life is not reserved just for the pastors or elders or certain holy spiritual people in this church, but rather it's available to all of us. He wants you to have that. But here's the question. Here's the catch. If you don't know what the Spirit can do, you don't know what you can ask Him to do in your life. You have to be aware of the roles He has to play, and then you can go to Him asking Him to help you in these various ways. So I want to spend some time this morning going through these five roles, and I want to excite you about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, as Francis Chan says, the forgotten God. You know, we so often talk about the Son, we talk about the Father, but we don't talk about the Spirit, and it oftentimes seems like churches have two ditches where the Holy Spirit becomes like this as uh, Pat says, charismania, or this is other ditch where it's not spoken of at all. And what we want to say is, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Because God wants to bless you. So with no further ado, let's just dive into the first role of the Holy Spirit, which is, he is a prosecutor. So if you're taking your notes, write down, he is a prosecutor. Look here, in, uh, in verse 8 and 9, he, Jesus says, he will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, which is exemplified in their unbelief about Jesus. And so one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to Prosecute or convict our loved ones, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, whoever it is in our lives, of their sin. And this is really interesting because when I first became a believer, I took it upon myself to convict others of sin. So, you know, I became a, a believer when I was 21, and then I instantly went to my uh, unbelieving network, which was large at that time because I was a new convert. And so I went to my frat bros and I went to other friends at university and I was doing my best to convict them of the sin, to, to condemn their womanizing, to their, condemn their drunkenness, thinking that it was in my power to convict them. But here's what we need to realize. There is, um, our, um, our condemnation of other people's sins does not cause the conversion. And It's not us guilting people to cause them to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Moreover, it's not our brilliant arguments that cause people to become uh, Christians. You have the best; you could be the best apologist in the world. You can make the greatest defense for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, something that no one could refute, and people can still not come to know Jesus because it's not based upon us. But here's the wonderful news. When you realize that the work of the Holy Spirit, His conviction on the world isn't about us, but it's about Him, it gives you so much freedom and it empowers you to share in ways you never imagined. I'm reminded in Acts when the apostles were sharing the faith, the religious leaders at the time said these were unlearned men. Remember uh, Peter and James? These three guys were fishing. I mean, they were like the blue collar of that society. They didn't have any religious education. And yet, they proclaimed what they knew, and the people came out in droves and converts. They said things like, What must we must do? Because they felt such a conviction of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be brilliant in any way, but you can just go out in great freedom and excitement that God's going to do a great work in you. What I want you to take away here is that when you recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one, the sole person who's going to do the convicting, it's supposed to release a huge burden off your shoulders and give you a lot of life and a lot of excitement to go out there and share the... Faith, it is. We are responsibility to do the work of evangelists, but the act of evangelism is his responsibility. I am um, reminded um, of the blue books. Now, I was an engineer at university, and I, did anybody here went to school in the '90s or earlier? Anybody? You have blue books. One person, great. Okay, well, this this illustration might not go very far, but basically, a blue book was a sheet of a book of blank pages you bought that what you would fill out when you had an examination. So, as an engineer, they would give you a schematic of like a uh, a circuitry or whatever, and the professor would say, "What is the voltage in this area? What is the current over in this area?" And so you would take this blue book, and the, the cover was blue, the pages are white on the inside. You write your name on the front, you write question one, and then you would start answering it. And in the course of course, engineering, you had all these different like equations. You were plugging in and everything, and it would take like pages and pages of blue book just to answer one question it was it's basically a nightmare right. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. But the point is, is that you would spend six or seven pages trying to figure out what the current was in this little bit of area, and you weren't sure whether you were right or not, right? But you, you could have made a mistake anywhere. And so you're going into this process with this great burden of, man, I got to get this one answer totally right. But as an engineering student, they also gave us a chance to take uh, 16 credits or so with gen eds, and I was all about psychology. So I took a class in psychology, and as, a psychology, uh, as an undergrad, you know, the professors and the, and the Grad students would always recruit you and pay you $5 to take an assessment or whatever it may be. And they'd be like, Taste this. Is this spicy? Taste that. Is that sweet? And you have no idea why you're doing it, but you just know there's a there's a one way mirror there type of thing, and somebody's observing what you're doing. But what I loved about those exams is there was no right answer. I had absolute freedom in the way I answered. There was like a sense of joy and excitement of doing that type of an exam because I didn't have to worry about getting it totally right. Well, in the same way, when you trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the converting, you have the freedom to be yourself. You don't have to be an excellent apologist or very illustrative or be somebody who's just a great speaker. You be you and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. You trust in him completely. And there's another great thing about he doing the one work of conversion. And the great thing is that he, he can break the hardest heart. He could break the hardest heart. You know, um, you might have somebody in your life, let's say a family member, We you feel like, ah, prophets never welcome in their own home, right? Don't worry about it, brothers and sisters. You trust in him to do the great work. It's his responsibility. It's not your responsibility. You're only responsible to share. You let him do all the work. You know, the Apostle Paul is a, such a great story in the Bible. Here's somebody who was hard-hearted, right? He was persecuting Christians. He was holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, and yet our Lord uh, impacted him on the road to Damascus, and the scales came from his eyes, and he saw Jesus and him crucified, and became one of the greatest uh, apologists and missionaries and church planters ever, and uh, worked with a Gentile church. And the Bible gives us a story, not just so it tells us the history of the church, but to inspire us that God can do the greatest things in the lives of our unbelieving friends and family members. He brought you to know Christ, and he can bring them to know Christ no matter how hard their hearts are. Isn't that a wonderful gift that we have? I hopefully right now you're thinking, yes, that's awesome. And that is just the first one. We got four more to go, so let's keep on going for time's sake. Number two, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. Now, what does that mean? Well, so the world, get this for a second, this might be confusing, so I'm going to take a moment to kind of unpack it. The world crucified Jesus, and at first, the world crucified Jesus looking at him that he's guilty, but then Jesus was resurrected. Which validated that he wasn't guilty, but rather he was righteous. And so when the scriptures say here that it uh, uh, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, it's saying because of his resurrection, because he's going to the Father, he wasn't guilty, but rather he is righteous. And here's the wonderful news when we trust, that Jesus Christ died for my sins, when I look at that cross and I see Jesus hanging there for my sins, the Bible says, I am uni- I mean, I mean, uh, unified to him because of my faith I 'm unified to him because of my faith. Jesus took my sin, but then here 's the wonderful news: because he 's righteous because of his resurrection, I am now righteous. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:21, a wonderful passage if you 're taking notes. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, he was innocent, so that in him, we're unified to him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus took my sin and Christian, your sin, but you took his righteousness. Get this. Every righteous deed that our Lord did here on His earthly ministry has been credited to you because you're unified in faith to Him. And the implications here for your life, I think, are huge and they're foundational in your transformation. So, let's, I have two kids here. If I said to one of my children, you're a bad boy, you do bad things, you're a bad, bad boy. And you're always going to be a bad boy, because that's who you are. You're a bad boy. That's what bad boys do. They do bad things. And I said to my, another child of mine, and I said, you're a good boy. Man, you do great things. I am so proud of you. You're a good boy. Now, I don't have a doctorate in psychology. I don't know if anybody else here does. What do you think is going to happen to the first child I told that they're going to be a bad boy? What's going to happen to them? They're going to be a sociopath, right? I mean, let's face it. They're going to live out the identity that I gave them. And what do you think is going to happen to the second child? they 're going to start producing good works and good fruit in the same way when we recognize that we are righteous in Christ, it becomes the foundation to the fruit we produce in our life because we recognize when we sin that is not me that is not you but rather you are righteous in Christ if we have a feeling that we are shame like we are bad shame means uh, I am bad. Guilt means I do bad things. Shame means I am bad. If this is who we believe we are, we're not going to find any sort of freedom in Christ. We're not going to find fruit. Let's go back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves. They tried to hide their sin, right? That's what, that's what bad, you know, you try to hide it. And when God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, what did Adam and Eve do? They tried to hide. Why? Because, he asked them, they were ashamed of their nakedness. See, shame distances yourself from God. But when you recognize you're righteous, you are drawn to him. I read a meme a week ago that I think is unbelievable. I think it's so fantastic for what we're talking about today. Uh, somebody writes, religion says, um, when I mess up, oh, my dad's going to be angry with me. The gospel says, when I mess up, how can my dad help me right now? Do you see how religion separates you from God? You hide from him. The gospel says, I am righteous in Christ, and it draws you near to God. And this is, again, it's so applicable. If, if you're, if, I look at um, organizations like AA and NA and SA, you know, and you go to these groups, right, and they put you in the circle, and what do they have you do? You say, hi, my name is Joe, and what do you say? I am a alcoholic, Right? I don't think a Christian should say that. I think a Christian could say, I struggle with alcohol. I think a Christian could say, I'm addicted to alcohol, or whatever it is. But a Christian is not to be identified by their sin. In their core, they're to identify themselves with Jesus. And out of that, that's where they see the great fruit. And that is another role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Aren't you glad to be unified to him? So fantastic. So first, he's a prosecutor. Second, he is an advocate. Third, he is a judge. The Holy Spirit is a judge. Jesus says that the helper, the helper will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. What does that mean? Well, the ruler of this world is the devil, but the Holy Spirit has judged him. So when Jesus was resurrected, the Holy Spirit lost his power over Christians. And so, we are no longer bound to His lies that are in our world. You know, I believe the most disbelieved verse in the Bible is Ephesians 6.12. Do you know Ephesians 6.12? It goes this way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The devil is at war against us Christians, and Jesus says he is a liar, and the father lies. He's been lying from the beginning. And so his biggest weapon isn't to creep you out, you know, that horror stuff you see when you go to Redbox and you see those movie covers, you're like, that looks creepy. That is not his biggest weapon. His biggest weapon is to lie to us. You know, the devil goes by multiple names in the Bible. Um, the devil is what we oftentimes call them, the evil one. But the Bible is written in three languages, uh, New Testament's in Greek, the Old Testament is in Hebrew, and a little bit it's in Aramaic. And Satan is an Aramaic word. And do you know what Satan means? It means accuser. It means prosecutor. It means the, the role, the devil, his biggest gun against us Christians is to make us doubt our relationship with God, to accuse us, so that when we sin, he says, in our hearts, in our minds, You're not a Christian. Christians don't do that. Do you think you really believe? You don't really believe. Why does he do that? Why is that his biggest weapon? Because he knows that if you doubt your relationship with God, you won't have joy. You won't have peace. You'll definitely not be able to produce that righteousness that we're supposed to find in Christ. And therefore, you're not going to be a great witness. And people aren't going to come to know Jesus through observing your life and your lifestyle. And so he is doing a battle of disinformation. Have you heard about that before? Disinformation is kind of, it's actually this word was invented, if you could believe it, two years ago in 2017. Do you know it got invented? It got invented because we discovered that Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and all these disturbing countries right now have produced these bots. And what these bots do is they post up articles that are fake, they do even have kind of a really sophisticated one's called deep fakes. These are videos that are absolutely fake. And what these bots do, the artificial intelligence is so creative, it can look at your likes on your pages, it looks at your search histories on Google and knows what kind of person you are and it starts producing fake articles in order to breed an anger and frustration within you. And these bots aren't just producing Republican content or Democrat content. Researchers show it's 50-50. The goal of these bots and the countries behind them is to create disunity in the culture and to tear down the the country. So I say that I share you this story, disinformation, to say, well, you know, our battle is not against like tanks; it's against all these um, disinformation. The devil does the exact same thing. He knows what you're looking at. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your flaws. He knows your sins. He knows your struggles. He knows your family. He knows way more about you and about me than any artificial intelligence from Venezuela or Iran and Russia. And he is doing things in your life, having posts come across, people in your life. Weird things happen to you. Not weird things happen to you. Things that are so subtle you wouldn't know it otherwise in order to cause you to doubt the truth. My friends, we are at battle. Are we helpless? No. Why? Because we have a judge. The judge is the Holy Spirit. He is our advocate. He is the one who can give us freedom amongst all these things that are happening among us. I love what uh, Romans 8, 16 says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so when I am going about my day and the devil is attacking me with all sorts of lies through all kinds of means, the Holy Spirit resides within me and Spirit within you, excuse me, Christian within you, in order to remind us of who we are in Christ so we don't fall to his schemes. Beautiful promise from the Scriptures. It's good to have a friend like that. Fourth He's a guide. Jesus makes this point in verse 13. He will guide you into all the truth." The word for guide here carries the idea of leading the blind. It's oftentimes uh, used as the idea of how wisdom lead us in Jewish culture. And so when the scripture says, "He will guide you in all the truth," it means that he's going to guide you into things that are going to help you make decisions in life. He's going to give you wisdom. Are you thinking about whether or not you should sell your house? What about to take that job? What about to have another kid? What about maybe some health issue and the doctors give you three different options? You just don't know which one to pick, right? How do you make those decisions? You can Google all day long, right? You're going to find, I mean, where, what do you do? The scriptures say in those times, the Holy Spirit is this huge blessing to us because he will guide us. He will guide us on all the truth. I heard many times Christians will say that I will make a decision based on peace, and I'm not sure what they fully mean by that, but I know this much. I know the Bible never says, it doesn't not say, but it never says that we are to make a decision based on peace. Rather, all of James 1, it does say that we are to make decisions based on wisdom. Wisdom. Because sometimes we're going to go and have to uh, confront difficult situations. They're going to be a little stressful. It might have feel as a peace there, but we ought to do it anyway. And so we are to ask for wisdom. But here's the wonderful thing about him guiding us is it's not giving us wisdom to make life's difficult decisions. We also, he's guiding us into all the truth and that includes the idea of becoming more like Christ. And so when we're going about our day and we're having to make decisions, the Holy Spirit will guide us, right? We sense this conviction of, uh, maybe I shouldn't type this onto my uh, account. Maybe I shouldn't go here on the internet, you know? Maybe I shouldn't go to this party. Maybe I need to go this way or that way. Wherever we're going, the Holy Spirit is continuously guiding us so that we can make decisions that are going to please God and be for our good, You know, the Holy Spirit, I mean, in in the Bible, he's called, you know, the counselor, the helper, the advocate. He has lots of names, the Spirit, but we oftentimes call him the Holy Spirit. You know why we call him the Holy Spirit? Not merely because that's in the Bible, but also because, and it's not merely because of who he is, because that's obvious, because that's what he does. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make you holy, to make you more like Christ. Christ is what we are here to become like. We are to be conformed like him, and the Holy Spirit's primary responsibility is to shine the light on Christ, and the way he does that is transforming us so that we are more like Christ, and people see our lives. They see how we respond to difficult situations. They see the decisions we make. They see how we raise our kids and what we do with our money, and they go, that is attractive. And then we say, it's all Christ. It's not me. It's all God in me. He is the one who creates all moral transformation. Sam Storm writes, whatever positive moral change we've experienced in life, whatever conformity to Christ we've seen develop in our spiritual walk, the Holy Spirit has done that. The Holy Spirit is what guides us with decision-making and the difficult problems we encounter, but the Holy Spirit is also the one that makes us holy. He guides us through life's difficult situations that are moral. Moral so that we can please God and make much of Christ. Finally, the fifth role he plays is that he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I know this may seem totally self-evident, but I think it's humbly profound and something we oftentimes overlook. Uh, Jesus says, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. What we see here is another passage that talks through the, Trinity, the Trinitarian roles. We see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. And so, how do we experience the Holy Spirit? How do we experience the manifest presence of God in our lives? Well, he says here, but whatever he hears, he speaks, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. It's in the Bible. It's when we spend time in the Bible that we get to experience the presence of God. It's when we memorize scriptures and repeat them to ourselves throughout the day that we experience the presence of God. It's when we get in our life groups and we share truths to one another from the scriptures that we experience the presence of God. It's when we sing these songs and these spiritual songs and hymns and whatnot where we experience the presence of God. God is, the Spirit of God is. And where the Spirit of God is, we are going to experience the manifest presence of God. And where God is, there's peace and joy and righteousness. Where God is, there is freedom. Where God is, we experience the abundant life. And I'm telling you, that is not something for just a few people. That is something that we all are supposed to experience. So I hopefully, as I draw this uh, message to a close, what I want you to do is I don't want you to be hungry for what he can do in your life. I want you to be thirsty for what he can do, and I want you to be asking yourself at this moment, how do I get this? How do I get guidance? How do I get to experience him as God? How do I get this idea that he has made me righteous? How do I use um, his power to um, uh, resist the schemes of the devil? Well, I want to read to you a passage that I think is exceptionally uh, meaningful. Jesus says the following. how much more will your heavenly father give get this the holy spirit to those who ask of him you know my final application of this sermon isn't isn't rocket science it's simple you simply ask if you want guidance if you want to be able to resist the devil if you want to understand who you are in christ and experience more of his righteousness If you want to be able to um, uh, navigate through life's complex um, moral issues, you simply ask. And by asking, your father is going to say, yes. Well, Joe, how can you be so sure? Because the Bible tells me so. That's how. You can leave here believing he's going to give you this. Benjamin Franklin, cool dude, man. Lots of great roles in the history of America. But the Holy Spirit nothing beats him. I'm going to pray right now and our band's going to lead us into some worship. And what I'm going to ask of you is to feel the freedom to go in your seats and pray. We've we've um we're ending the service a little bit early so that you can have a time of prayer. And we want you to be able to experience that through worship. So don't leave out those doors but rather stay with us and pray now i also know that sometimes when somebody stands you might feel like maybe i should stand now you can stand if you want to or you can stay seated the entire time you can come forward to the altar or stay right where you're at but do whatever the holy spirit's leading you to do and enjoy this time to experience his presence invite him into your life and be specific Where do you need him to help you in the five roles we talked about? Father, we're going to pray over the next few minutes. And I pray that as we lift up our voices to you, pleading with you to come and to answer our prayers, that we would uh, have confidence that you are going to come and answer And Lord, I'm grateful that you didn't leave us as orphans, that we have a great helper. And truly, it is greater to have the Spirit inside of us than Jesus beside us. What a blessing. May you be honored with our lives. For Christ's sake, amen.